stars are brightly shining it is the night of the dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. was born. Oh, now, 
Oh, Bing Crosby and Old Holy Night. And Patricia, you want to introduce our next guest? I would love to. Hi, everybody. We have, and this is our final special guest for Christmas, and it is the most appropriate cap for our interviews tonight. I called Dave Burns a couple of weeks ago, actually it was several weeks ago, and said we were putting together our Christmas shows, um, and we were picking places that had very special Christmas names and Christmas relevance, and that's as far as I got, and he said, and I'm going to be your humbug, aren't I? <laughs> Guess where Dave lives? Dave is in Humbug, Arizona, and there is a great deal of history behind the name and the area. But we have Dave Burns, who is the caretaker, part-time resident of Humbug, and expert of all things out there. Dave, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Tell, would you tell people what Humbug is, please? Oh, okay, Humbug is a, a ghost town, an old mining town. Um, actually, it's two ghost towns because um, at the site there, there were two mining booms. Uh, the first one was in the 1880s, and then there was another mining boom again in the 1920s. So we have buildings there from, from both eras, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of, of history there, and my job is to try to preserve that and to make it available to people if they want to uh, come and see it and hear about it. I love it. Tell us about the mines themselves and the people who staked the claims. Okay, the, the, the first uh, guy to mine there, his name was uh, Charlie Champy, and he came from Texas, and he came up the creek, Humbug Creek. That, that's actually where the, the name of the town comes from. It's on ah. Humbug Creek. And coming up Humbug Creek, he found a, a, a little showing there off to the side of the creek, and so he started mining it. And it turned out that he had, uh, he had a, a mine shaft there and a mine tunnel, and he took out about 2,000 ounces of gold right there when he hit, now, when, hit, hit some pockets. When you and I talked, I didn't know whether or not that was a good bunch or a bad bunch. Oh, oh that, was a, that was very good. It, it, at today's prices, that would be about $2 million. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Uh, yeah. now, thank you for putting in perspective for me. And, and it was worth about the same, that 2,000 ounces of gold was worth about the same in those days as it is now. It's just the money that seems to change. I got it. Okay. Um, when we put a value on something, it, it comes with a piece of paper that says, okay, this is what the piece of paper says it is. I, I understand that. So I didn't realize that there was a Humbug Creek that ran through there. How did the Humbug Creek get its name? Well, um, about 10 years before Charlie Champy made his discovery there, there were uh, some placer miners that arrived in the area, and they were, now placer mining is where you dig in the creek and look for the gold that has eroded down into the creek. You've probably okay. seen it on TV with uh, sluice boxes and uh, panning and that sort of thing and getting gold nuggets out of the creek. Yeah. And, and they, were, they were very disappointed about the amount of uh, placer gold that was in the creek. It, uh, it, has, it, has, it looks really good. It has all kinds of good indications. The, uh, the, the geology is right. The, uh, the rocks are the right kind. There's plenty of black sand in the creek and lots of iron and that sort of thing. But there just wasn't very much gold there. So it never became a very good placer creek. And, and they just named it that Humbug Creek. 
and because the name because stuck. They, because they thought it was a bust. Yeah. Um, now, now, you could always find a little color there, but they could never uh, find gold in any commercial quantities. So as uh -huh. a result, the, the creek never got placer mined very good. But as it turned out, about 10 years later, when Charlie Champy came in, he discovered uh, load deposits. Now, now, that's where gold is in its original vein in the rock. It's also called hard rock mining or uh -huh. load mining. And that's where the fortunes that were made there in that area were made load mining. Okay. Now, how, did, how was load mining done? Um, back in those days, they had hand drills. Uh, and they would drill holes in the rock and then uh, load it with explosives and break the rock apart with the explosives and then they would remove the chunks of, of ore that were, were good and take them to a mill and crush them up into uh, like sand. Uh, the, the, the ore that they had there uh, was, was what's called free milling. That means if you crush the rock up, the pieces of gold just fall out. That was the uh -huh. only kind of uh, ore that they could work back in those days. And they uh -huh. would crush them up using arastras. Now, you've probably seen those on, on TV. That's uh, where you have uh, stones laid out in a flat circle and mm -hmm. a post in the center, and the burrow or the mule walks around the outside. Okay. And uh, drags the stone around on there, and they put their ore in there, and it crushes it up for them. And then they can just take the crushed... Uh, uh, milled uh, rock and run it through uh, sluice boxes and things like that and just use gravity methods to remove the gold from the crushed rock. Now, it sounds, oh, it sounds primitive by comparison to the things oh, that we oh, do. Oh, it today. was, yes. But the PS to this is there weren't very many people doing this and they had to build these things in order to complete the process and then blow up the rock some more. This sounded like a, a really labor-intensive operation. Oh, it was. It was back-breaking work. Uh, they would work long hours and for low pay. And, <laughs> and then uh, there were many mines dug, but very few of them actually paid off. So a lot of that work was just in vain. So uh, when, when you were talking about Humbug Creek and how it got its name, you were talking about Charlie Champy. He found showing off to the side of the creek. What is a showing? Um, prospectors, when they're looking for gold, e even today, we have the same problem that they've had for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and that is that, that if the gold doesn't show on the surface, you can't see it. If it's, if it's an inch underneath, you, you can't see it. Oh, okay. And, and even with all our fancy electronics and stuff like that we have today, you still have the same problem. You don't know it's there if it doesn't show on the surface. So the only way to find it is just to look at it on the look for it on the surface. Now the first if you're the first guy to come there and you walk into an area, you find gold just laying on the ground because nobody ever came along and picked it up. So the first guy is the one you is the guy you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Charlie Champy was. He came up the creek, and he came into that area, and he was the first guy, and he was walking along, and he saw an outcrop of uh, quartz there, and he took a close look at it, and by golly, it had gold in it. So he started drilling and blasting and digging, and 
by golly, there, the gold got better as he went down. And then he hit a pocket. Now, we know that he hit some very rich ore there because he built a smelting furnace. Ooh. And, and what that means is, see, he, he had an arastra, too. For usually, you're, you're, you can crush the rock up and extract the gold the way I told you with a sluice. But if you come across the condition where there is so much gold in your ore that you can't crush it, then you have a real problem of separating. I mean, it's the kind of problem you want to have. It's going to say, I'd love to have that problem. Then you're forced to smelt. Now, smelting is, a, is even way slower and way more expensive uh, a, a process than uh, crushing and extracting is. Uh, so, he, so, so since we saw that smelting furnace there, we know that he had some, some very rich ore. That is amazing. Now, Charlie Champy, I'm saying his name correctly, yes? Yes. Okay, Charlie Champy showed up. Was he out to prospect gold when he saw the... Uh... Oh, yes. Um, he actually worked at the Tip Top Mine. When he, when he first came from Texas, he worked over at the Tip Top Mine, which was about four miles away. Uh-huh. Uh, now, that was a silver mine. Uh, so he did that to make a little money, you know, you, back in those days, it was expensive to travel, and he probably spent all his money getting there. Mm -hmm. And then he had to earn some more money, so he worked at the tip-top mine for a while and made some more money. And then in his spare time, he started, went and struck out on his own, you know, to look for his own strike. You, you mm -hmm. can't get rich by working for somebody else. Yeah. So, and he wanted to uh, find his own mine and get rich. Well, he couldn't have been the only one out there looking for gold. Were they at all discouraged by the name of the creek? Would it have encouraged them to look in different areas and just bypass the, the Humbug Creek? Well, no, no, that's a good question. I don't really know because I, I, would, I would think that that would be the case, that a lot of people may have been discouraged uh, about looking along that creek simply because of its uh, lack of placer. Uh, one of the ways to prospect for a load mine is to check in the creek and, and look for placer, and you work your way up the creek, and when you notice that the pieces of placer gold you get are becoming rougher and rougher, and then all of a sudden they stop. Then you stop too, and go take a look at, at and, and see where that gold was coming from. Mm -hmm. You've heard the term the mother load, right? Well, that's what that means. It's the the, the mother is where all where that placer gold is coming from, okay. eroding off the side of the hill from a, a, a deposit there. And what you're doing is you're tracking your way up the creek and looking for where that gold is coming from. And when you find it. Then you have the mother load, which is the, basically the <laughs> source of where that sure. gold is coming from. Sure. And then, then you're likely to find yourself a, a, a real good mine. Oh boy, I love that. Now, humbug, of course, we, we talked about this for a minute before we went on the air. Humbug means a bust or falderall or just foolishness. Yes. Um, so if I were out there, and obviously I'm not a prospector, I'm originally from New York, so you can tell that I've never had experience like this, but Humbug, just the name Humbug would suggest to me that somebody already investigated this really well, and I would be better off putting my attention somewhere else. So that's why I asked the question that maybe he found something that other people had simply bypassed because they well, thought it was well, already Now, he checked. might have considered a different name for uh, his, his mining town there, uh, probably if he were looking for investors. 
because, uh, you know, that probably wouldn't be a very good name, you know, that would attract investors to your, uh, <laughs> to your mine. Yeah. There. But, but his thing was he didn't need investors. So he, and he wanted to name his town Humbug, so he did. Oh, by golly, he did. Was he married when he got there, oh. or did he, ma go ahead. Well, well um, there, there, there's some question about that. He got married right about that time. And what I suspect happened was he came out uh, uh, to Arizona by himself initially. Uh, back in those days, um, you didn't just, uh, uh, you know, fi find a nice girl and ask her if, if you could marry her. You had to talk to her dad first. Mm -hmm. And I, I highly suspect, you know, that, that he may have done that. And her dad probably said, as a lot of them did in those days, that uh, my daughter's not going to marry some Yahoo, you know. Uh, she's going to marry a man of substance. So you go out and you find yourself uh, something <laughs> substantial uh, on, on which to base this proposition, and then you come back and talk to me. So I suspect that he went out to Arizona and uh, got into mining, and, and as soon as he found this deposit there, he probably loaded up a bunch of his samples and his assay reports and went back to Texas to talked to, uh, uh, his wife's name was Elizabeth, uh, or Lizzie, uh, to talk to Lizzie's uh, dad again. And once he showed him the uh, samples and the assay reports, he said, yeah, that looks like you have a mine there. So, And then he gave his consent. <laughs> and packed his wagon to follow them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's really interesting. So, uh, all right, so now they're back out there. If I were Lizzie, I would have thought twice about this. You know, she probably did after she got there, but in those days you couldn't just turn around and leave. <laughs> yeah. I keep saying if, they, if, if everybody depended on me to be a pioneer and get us farther than Philadelphia, you'd all still be standing in Philadelphia. I, I'm just such a chicken. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But I just can't imagine winding up in such a desolate area and being a new bride. It, it just blows me away. So what kind of a lifestyle did they lead there? It was very Spartan. Um, if you came to see they, see where they lived, they, they lived in a, a stone house that he built himself. And the interior of the house was one room, and it was about 12 feet by 12 feet, which for, for that era and that time and that place was actually a, a, a large house. Uh, most uh, prospectors who were out there by themselves would just build a, a little tiny shelter that was big enough to crawl into to get out of the rain uh, because they didn't want to spend a lot of time building their house. They wanted to spend the time prospecting and working their mine. What the old cowboys m movies used to refer to as a mining shack? Yeah. A miner's shack, okay. Uh, only um, a shack generally means it was made out of wood, but they didn't have much wood, so they piled up rocks generally. Oh, okay. Uh, but it would still have been just a shack. Uh-huh. Uh, but his house was, was pretty decent. So you can tell that he was planning on having a family there, and, and he did. They had, uh, he eventually had uh, 13 kids. Uh, Twelve of them survived. I'm speechless. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it was, it, he, he did remarkably well. He was, uh, he was a very lucky man. I guess the, it begs the question, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a sassy or negative way, did Lizzie survive? Oh, oh yes. Um, they were, uh, let's see, he was, 
they, they lived to a ripe old age. Um, you know, now, he was eventually killed in a traffic accident, and uh, uh, Lizzie was also injured in the same accident. Uh, and I don't know when she then, and that was in the uh, 1920s, I believe. And he was in his 80s or something like that. So they, uh -huh. they, they lived a long time. Now, now, he wasn't always a miner. He mined for um, quite a while, and then he, he went into the ranching business, started a ranch. Uh-huh. And what is the likelihood of someone today showing up in Humbug, assuming it was open to the public or people could just kind of roam in and say, yeah, this is a nice place, mm -hmm. um, what would be the chance of their finding gold in close proximity to the, the vein that he found? Oh, very slim, because because I've been doing that for over 20 years, and I, I have yet to find it. <laughs> well, that's going to be one of my questions. What are you doing with, the, with uh, gold mining up there? Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, so, so so far, not very much, <laughs> but I keep trying. The problem the problem is that uh, the, the second guy to come along, there's, there's less gold for him, uh -huh. and the third guy, there's even less, and when you get to be the... The the two hundred and fiftieth guy, there's there there's there's not much there's nothing left showing on the surface. I can guarantee you that there's nothing left showing on the surface uh, in that area because I looked. It's been tapped out. Now, how far apart would veins be, or are veins? They're still there. Okay. Now, every uh, mining area has its own particular character, and one thing you need to do before going into an area is to investigate and uh, learn as much as you can about the character of the ore in that area because that'll help you to know what to look for. And in this area there at Humbug, there are a lot of veins. There is a, a hydrothermal vein every 40 to 60 feet, but they don't all carry gold. They are, they're all, most of them are heavily mineralized with uh, iron and things like that, but they, they don't all carry gold except in pockets. Now the pocket, and the pockets are small, but they can be very rich. And when I say that uh, Charlie Champy found 2,000 ounces there in his mine, it was probably in a small pocket. Now, I, I know more about uh, a pocket that was found in a, a mine called the Little Annie in the area, but that in the 1930s, and it had over a thousand ounces in it, and they said that it all fit in one ore car, and one ore car is about the size of a 55-gallon drum. Wow! So that must have been some very pretty ore. Very rich. Yes, very, very rich, but small. Then once you clean out the pocket, then, you know, <laughs> that was it for the little Annie. <laughs> that that <laughs> was it, and you, and you move on looking for something else. Yeah, you, you go on. There was never any one big mine there at Humbug. There are a lot of little ones. Uh-huh. How, how did you, or how do you, tell me if this is still current, claim, you, we talk about this as a mining claim, how did you lay claim to a piece of property? Well, now, now humbug is a uh, kind of a special kind of claim. It's a it's a patented claim. Uh, now, Charlie Champy, when he came, he located what's called an unpatented claim, or or what you generally think of as a mining claim on public land. Uh, and and he kept that, and he eventually sold it, and it passed on to other people and other people. And eventually, someone who 
uh, had those claims at that time, uh, there's a provision in the mining law that if you have unpatented claims and you have a substantial investment in it, you can apply to the government to buy that property. Mm-hmm. And then it, once you buy it, it becomes private property, and it's called a, and then it's called a patented claim. Okay. And that's what these claims are. It's it's actually private property, and there's a, a, a small group of people who own it, and and of course have to pay taxes on it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and all that. But it, it becomes private in the sense, just like any other private property. Um, yeah, the only thing different is that you also own the mineral rights on it, which um, most private property doesn't have mineral rights. That part I knew. I didn't I didn't know how it worked in a mining area, but I, I knew that if you buy a chunk of real estate just, you know, to build a house on, mm. you don't own what's underground. That's right. Well, only in special cases do you actually own the mining rights. But uh, part, part of a, a patented claim is, is owning the the mineral mining, rights. Mining. Oh, isn't that interesting? Tell me about the lifestyle when the champies were there and the kids were growing up. Well, it, it was very rough. Um, when you when you look at the houses house that they lived in and the the road actually now the the road that you come in to Humbug on today is not the same road that Charlie Champy used. He didn't have there was no previous road there. He had to make his own. Uh, the canyon there is very steep and, and rugged, and his road, uh, if you walk up and look up that road, it just comes down the side of almost a cliff and just full of, it's like a rock pile. It's like coming down the side of a rock pile. And so you know that they didn't go to town except maybe once every two or three months. Uh, for groceries, so they had to provide most everything, uh, you know, food by hunting. Now, they, they, they had to bring in most of their food still, but uh, uh, getting it in there was really a problem. So they used, for building materials on their house, they used uh, locally available stone as much as possible, and any wood that they could uh, get from, from local trees and that sort of thing, they used it. How far away was the town? Well, the nearest town was Wickenburg, and that would have been about 30 miles. Wow. uh, Over rough, very rough country. So now they're they're in this area where they're pretty well isolated. Very isolated. Little, I mean, really isolated because not only is it hard for people to get in, it's hard for them to get out. That's right, and you didn't get visitors every day. <laughs> you didn't get visitors, period. You wouldn't have gotten me. I'd send you a card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they never, they've never had mail service there. <laughs> Still <laughs> don't. <laughs> this is oh, you don't have mail service. How do you get your mail? Um, well, if you wanted to receive mail there, you could get a uh, a, a mail put a mailbox over on um, oh about uh, four miles away, uh, <laughs> and and you would have a four mile drive to go get your mail. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So the, the lifestyle, anyone who set up housekeeping out there like you, would still be leading what we would consider a Spartan lifestyle. Oh yes, it's uh, it's remote even today. It um, is remote. It, okay, it ne- so- the area never really developed very much be- because uh, back in the 1880s, uh, these mining areas cropped up, 
but then mining is very transient. You know, you, you mine for a while and then the ore runs out and then you kind of, the, the boom is over and everybody leaves. And, mm-hmm. and this is kind of what happened in the Bradshaws. You find these old mining camps back in, way back in there and when, once the mining was over, everyone just left. And uh, so the, the area never really developed. Uh, the the way it would have if it, sure. it was some industry that stayed. Sure. Okay. So they're they're locked in. Everybody else is locked out. They've got to go to town for supplies. How did they travel? Um, by wagon, uh, drawn by mules. Um, like like I say, they didn't go into town very often, and they made use of what they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- for instance, um, they would uh, buy flour in sacks. And when they brought them back, the, the sacks would always be reused for clothing of some type for the kids. Mm-hmm. Because you know that the, the kids outgrow their clothing, and so you're, you're, you always need something else. And sure. flower sacks make good clothing. <laughs> That's what they use them for. And durable, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little scratchy, but, you know, <laughs> they were tough. They, they were, obviously, they were a very tough family. Um Oh my gosh, the, this is just incredible. What did they do for entertainment, or was that a word that was even in their dictionary? Um, well, the, the children played. They kind of made their own entertainment. Um, you don't really find uh, what you call toys uh, from that 1880s era. I, I have found quite a few toys from the 1920s era, you know, little mm-hmm. pieces of kids' toys here and there, but not from the 1880s. When they came back from town, they, they didn't waste space on the wagon with, with kids' toys and things like that because mm-hmm. there was food and, and there was necessary clothing and mining equipment and there wasn't room for anything else. So in, any toys and things like that, the kids made themselves and the kids had to develop an imagination back in those days and, and sort of entertain themselves and each other. Was there anything... I'll, I'll put this in quotation marks, modern, that ever came their way. Electric service. Um. Well, well, actually, we, we have electricity there. It's <laughs> a, a kind of a neat story. Um, I, I told you about uh, Charlie Champy's mining era, and then in the 1920s, there was another mining boom there. Uh, a fellow named Frank Hyde. Uh, he came from New York, actually. You're... Your, your state. Oh, and, boy, and he I was, feel better. Thanks. He was a wealthy stockbroker in New York, and uh-huh. he came out to Arizona, and he wanted to get into the gold mining business and be a gold miner. And so he came out, and he formed a partnership with the guy who had the claims at that time, uh, and he, he developed the property some more, built some more buildings there, and uh, he, even after his little mining boom was over, he still stayed on there, and he lived there until the, the early 1950s when he became too old to, to live out in the boonies there by himself and had to move into town. But in any event, in 1942, uh, they had a federal program called Rural Electrification. Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever heard of that? No. It's where the federal government uh, wanted to bring electricity to rural areas. So the, gov- the government provided the materials, the wire, the power poles, and all that sort of thing. And the community would provide the labor. And they would bring power lines out to basically ranches and small communities 
and things like that. And they brought the uh, power out to uh, the Castle Hot Springs Resort, which was about uh, six miles away. And then Frank Hyde uh, got the community together, and they brought the uh, power on out to Humbug. So from the line, the line comes all the way from Wickenburg, about 30 miles away, and it ends at the Humbug Mine. What is in between? Um, uh, well, let's see. There's Morristown, which was a small development, uh, or, or a little small crossroads. I guess that's what it is, uh, near Wickenburg. From there, there are several ranches along the way that comes out past those. And then there was this uh, Castle Hot Springs Resort. Have you ever heard of it? No. It was kind of a famous resort back in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, rich people used to come out west. It was called a dude ranch in those days. And uh, um, Teddy Roosevelt spent some time there. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, Jack Kennedy actually spent some time there, too. But, but they brought the power out to uh, Castle Hot Springs, and from there it was only about six more miles to get to Humbug. So Frank Hyde uh, uh, was able to get the power brought on out to his to his house, basically, mm -hmm. which was what was left there at the time. That's really interesting. Now, I, I know I explained this, or, or I at least mentioned it. I'm not sure I explained it. Um, the Yesterday USA Radio Network concentrates on old-time radio from the late 20s, the 1930s, and 40s especially. And so that makes me want to ask, when electricity came to Humbug, did radios come to Humbug? Oh, I'm sure they did. Uh, that was in 1942. So radios were well-developed by then and were, were pretty much all the way, all around. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, they had car radios and things. I'm sure that they used those even before then, uh, when they, whenever they were traveling. Sure. How interesting. Now, you talked about uh, rocks and coming, uh, almost coming down a rock slide, for goodness sakes, to get out of this place. Was the, the topography, could they grow anything? Could they grow vegetables? Could they feed themselves off the land in any way? Well, um, it, it, farming in, in that country is always difficult because we have a pretty rough climate. Uh, it's very hot and and dry much of the time. Um, it, in, it, there was enough dirt there to have a garden. Let's put it that way. But I'm not sure that they could afford the water to water the garden in the summer. There might be certain times uh, in the winter when they could get a quick crop. Uh, but I don't know uh, for sure of any gardens being there. Mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, at at Frank Hyde's house that he had uh, some grass there, uh, you know, a small lawn in front of his house, which mm -hmm. he probably watered with uh, uh, water that was uh, trucked in <laughs> if the well was dry. Isn't that interesting? Now, how far away were they from Humbug Creek? Oh, they're right on Humbug Creek. But, but in Arizona, creeks don't flow all the time. Oh, you wait for a rain like the monsoons coming in. Yeah. Now, Humbug Creek um, usually flows uh, in the winter from about, uh, oh, November through, say, May. And uh, then it stops flowing. Um, in the summer, we get uh, some heavy rains. It's called monsoon season for, for about a month and a half. Mm -hmm. but, but those only cause floods. They don't really 
uh, get the creek to run. Yeah. So you really only have about four or five months out of the year when the creek runs and you can get reliable water other than uh, having a well. Well, what did the champies do for water in the summertime then, or in the wintertime? Um, well, in the, in the wintertime, the creek was there. Uh, in the summertime, they had a well. One of those um, mine shafts that I was talking about, they were uh -huh. following the gold down, and the problem was they once they got down to a, about 40, 50 feet, uh -huh. They they ran into water down there, uh -huh. and they didn't have the capability in those days to pump the water out. So so that mine shaft just became a well. Got it. And they had a good source of water after that. Isn't that interesting? Okay, now what happened to Hyde? Did did he have a family out there as well? Yes, he did. He was there with his wife and daughter, Carolyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, eventually got divorced. Uh, but he continued to live there, and his uh, wife left. Uh, his daughter, Carolyn, uh, went to school at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and she lived until about 1970, and she died of uh, brain cancer. Oh, gosh. Oh, uh, my goodness. But, but she didn't have any kids. She wasn't married. Okay, so the entire family line died with her. Yes, it did. My goodness. Okay, so they're they're all trucking into town to get supplies, and then they're all trucking. I mean, this is not. Gee, I forgot a quart of milk. I have to go to the store. That's right. You better it, make darn sure you get everything, because you're not going to be back. <laughs> you're not going to be back. What you don't have is what you do without. Right. Um, how do you raise thirteen children? Now it's interesting. Uh, people are accustomed to hearing when when you have thirteen children and the in in relatively primitive circumstances, you expect death of children that not all of them survive. All That's of them right. would have survived in this. You told me how the thirteenth child died. Um, yes, um, they were at Humbug there for oh about uh, five years, I think. And then uh, he sold out there and moved down the creek about a mile to a place called Columbia. And while they were living there, uh, one of their babies um, one day was just started crying and kept crying. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And uh, finally, they went to change the diaper. They took the diaper off, and there was a scorpion in there. The scorpion had stung the baby uh, multiple times, and the baby died. And the baby died. Yes. So this this was not um, illness or or something that you would expect. No, this was just a tragedy from a large family. Um, this this really was a tragedy that yes. um, nobody could have planned for. That's right. Okay, it, what about? It, it, in fact, it's amazing that uh, only one child out of thirteen died under the conditions in, that, that they were living. I thought that as well. Now that was either sturdy stock or. Good parenting. <laughs> Kids who who survived despite of or really outstanding parenting. What do you think it was? Uh, I think it was a little of both. Now, now their their kids were tough. They all they grew up to be uh, ranchers and uh, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they they had their own ranches all around in the area there. The the Champy family is is quite huge <laughs> in the area there. Whenever they have a reunion, there's literally more than 100 people there at it. Wow. Uh, do they do they gather at the old homestead site? 
Well, the, the original homestead site was, was sold uh, back in the 30s. Uh, but but they have um, other sites that they they, they gather at. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea how they celebrated or if they celebrated Christmas with that many kids? Well, um, I, I don't really know too much about it, but I do have a family picture that was taken of of them at. I think about 40 uh, people in the picture, in, including some some cousins um, and children and grandchildren and wives of children. <laughs> uh, so, so I so I knew they had big family get-togethers around Christmas. Uh huh. And this was a Christmas shot. This, this was a uh, yeah a, a portrait taken of the family at Christmas. At Christmas time. Yeah, in 1927 at their, uh, at their ranch. Uh-huh. Now, when, when these people in the hides were celebrating Christmas, how would they provide anything for the children, or did the kids even at that time understand what Christmas was? Oh, I, oh I'm sure they, they did. Uh, Christmas was celebrated then a lot like it is today. Um, uh, maybe maybe they didn't get video games for Christmas, you know, but uh, yeah. they they still got uh, toys. Now now this was in 1927, which was a lot later than the 1880s. Right. And and by then over at the ranch, it was a lot easier to get to and from town, and they had cars. Mm -hmm. uh, by then, uh, oh, you know the cars of the time, but they could still uh, they would still. It was not a big deal to to go into town by then, uh, uh -huh. say once a week. Yeah, uh, but in the earlier years, when it was once every two or three months going in there, and they they probably had kids yeah. in the wagon with them, and they didn't have any extra space to spare. Uh, um, a lot of times, it, being in, you didn't really ride in the wagon. You had you walked alongside. The the wagon was for carrying the freight. Oh my goodness! Now going into town, you you get to ride, but coming back, you probably didn't. You do not. Uh, so, and that was a 30-mile trip. So it would have taken uh, probably a couple of days to get to town, a couple of days to get back, and that was and, if you really pushed. And if you got sick and hurt along the way, what happened? Uh, they would probably try to get you into town as fast as they could, but. Uh, you know, that wouldn't be real fast. Yeah. My goodness. How did you find this area? Well, I just sort of stumbled across it, actually. Uh, back around 1980, I was uh, backpacking down Humbug Creek, and I didn't really even know that it was there. And I just uh, was walking along, and uh, here was this old guy out in the middle of nowhere, and he was clearing brush, and it turned out it was the old caretaker there so I stopped and we talked and uh, he was he was just an old cowboy and miner who had lived in the area there all his life and he he knew all about it and uh, all the stories he had to tell were just just fascinating and so I just kind of stopped <laughs> and stayed for a while you stopped moving <laughs> yeah uh, that that was the end of the uh, backpacking trip there and then I started coming in on weekends um, you know <laughs> 
and he would tell me about the mining in the area, and uh, I was really interested in the geology and uh, prospecting and that sort of thing, and he was a great teacher. He, he knew all about it, and he would give me instructions on, on how to get to uh, an old mine somewhere, and I'd follow his instructions, and sure enough, there it would be, and he would tell me what to look for when I got there. Mm-hmm. and tell me about the various minerals of the area and what was valuable and what wasn't and how to look for it and uh it was it was uh, an incredible education wow. for me where where are you from originally well i'm from arizona from okay. phoenix area my mom was was born in phoenix so this is not a, a terrific distance i should have asked this of you at the beginning i knew because i asked you then give a location where where is Humbug. Okay, it's 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 not easy to describe because it's not really near anything. <laughs> if if you're if you're not from Arizona, uh, you know, and familiar with the area, uh, probably the best way to do it was to if you if you find Phoenix on a map and you find Prescott on a map mm-hmm. and you draw a line between the two and you take the spot right about in the middle, mm-hmm. <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Quite literally. That, that would be pretty close. All right, so um, you've got some really substantial civilization in a couple of different directions, but it's not with you. Right, it's it's kind of, the Bradshaw Mountains is kind of a a pocket, like I say, that that originally developed because of mining. And when the mines played out, the development just kind of went away. Uh It it wasn't like uh, Phoenix, which was uh, based on agriculture. And people came in there and they started farms and uh, they stayed. And uh, Phoenix only grew. It, there, there was never an end to the agriculture. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Phoenix continued to develop. The Bradshaws didn't. Uh, when the mining gave out, everyone just kind of left. And then it's like this time capsule up there. You can go up there and you find an old mining camp or an old mine or something like that from 100 years ago. And um, if you're lucky and people haven't been there before you, you find things pretty much laying right where they were when the old boys left. And so it, these it, were, they didn't spend days and weeks packing up to go. They just decided, well, tomorrow we better move on? Pretty much. Um, uh, every mine has a different story, but what happened a lot was they would mine for a while and then the ore would, would play out. It wouldn't pay anymore. And so the the, the guys would run out of money. <laughs> Or at least, if they were smart before they ran out of money, they would they would pack up what what they could, and a lot of times this meant if they had milling equipment or something like that, of course they would try to to take that with them. But sometimes, if the milling equipment was worn out and was not worth moving, then they would just go off and leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they would just let leave. Now they always kind of think that, and and miners are still this way today. They always think that uh, when they close down a mine that, well, we'll, we'll be back. You know, as, as soon as, oh, as conditions okay. change, um, price of gold goes up, uh, whatever, or I, uh-huh. I'll go out and, get, and find an investor and get some more money, you know, and then I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes they, they never do make it back. What's the most interesting thing you've come across in these kinds of travels? Interesting. Well, humbug. <laughs> <laughs> humbug, I think, is fabulous. You were talking about getting into uh, actual mining camps and mining areas and mm-hmm. finding things that people had just walked away from. What kinds of things 
really tickled you and, and you just you decided were kind of unusual besides everything? Well, um, up up there near Humbug is an old mine uh, called the Perro Benito, and it was just kind of abandoned in the 1930s, and it still has uh, track in it and ore cars, and when you go inside, ore chutes are still there. Uh, now, I know that the mine closed in 1934, but, but they kind of thought that, uh, and the reason it closed was because there was a drought. In 1930, Arizona had a big drought, and a lot of gold mines closed during this time. Uh, because although you don't really need water to mine ore, or, or to crush it, you do need water to separate the gold. And if you can't, if you don't have the water, you can't separate the gold. If you can't separate the gold, you can't pay your people. And if you don't pay your people, they leave. <laughs> so this is what happened. A lot of mines uh, closed down in the uh -huh. 1930s, and uh, the Perro was one of those. And then by the time the drought was over in 1935, uh, economic conditions had changed. Uh, people were getting jobs in, in, in town, and there were a lot of jobs available, so they didn't have to work at these hard, low-paying mining jobs anymore. They could work in town at a, at a much easier job and make more money doing it. So it was hard to get these mines reopened again, and the, the Paro never opened up again. It just stayed closed. Now, if you went in there, would you be considered a trespasser? Uh, no, because we own it. <laughs> oh, well, I guess not. It, it, yeah, the, the Perro is another uh, one of these patented properties. Okay. Now, now we, we just, uh, the, the group of, the small group of people that own Humbug uh, bought this mine, oh, about, oh, what is it, about nine or ten years ago. Uh, from the fellow who owned it at the time because he really wanted to sell it. And although we didn't really plan to do anything with it, uh, we got it for a good price, so we bought it. Sounds good to me. What would you like for Christmas? Oh, a gold mine? Yeah, That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay, well, let's take an abandoned mine that is not patented. If you went in there and came out with a chunk of gold, it's yours. Really? Yes. Well, oh, um, I can hear the suitcases packing now. <laughs> um, well, a lot of people do do this. Now you got to remember that it, that it's it, it, that it's not very smart to go into these old mines when they haven't had any maintenance for a lot of years, and they're uh -huh. beginning to get a little um, unstable yeah. <laughs> in there. And if you go in one of those things and a, a slab of rock falls on you, probably nobody's gonna come looking for you uh, so you're kind of stuck you don't you don't want to do that so if you go in you have to be prepared not to come out well you have to be prepared for what might happen yeah. uh, so prospectors do go into these old mines to get samples mm -hmm. and things like that and what you want to do is have someone else with you yeah so that uh, and they stay outside so that uh, if anything happens while you're in there there's at least someone who can go for help right but you, you obviously have to be mindful of some pretty serious risks before you do something like that. Yeah, like anything else, you want to research it first before you get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. What's the best thing for you about living in Humbug? Uh, well, it's not the gold, I guess. <laughs> well, if you haven't found it. <laughs> I haven't found much of that. Uh, it's not the money because the job doesn't pay anything. 
but it, but the peace and quiet. And um, I'm not I'm not a city kind of guy. Uh, I don't really like living in town. I'd much rather uh, live out there where where there's peace and quiet. And I guess I I think that the the animals make better neighbors than most people do. What kinds of critters do you see? Oh, um, we have quite a lot of uh, javelina. They're the wild pigs. Uh-huh. Uh, they run around in, in herds. Uh, we have deer. We have mountain lion. Uh, we have uh, a lot of smaller creatures like uh, ring-tailed cats and skunks and foxes and that sort of thing. Now, we had um, a fox that uh, uh, has, li- has lived around Humbug there for about 10 years, and she was getting pretty friendly, but but she died last winter. Oh. She got old, you know, and passed away. <laughs> oh, gosh. They really become friends in that kind of a situation. They, they, they do. I, I didn't realize how attached I had grown to the fox until she died. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever had any not-so-good encounters with some of the wildlife? Um, yes, actually. Um, Back in the days when uh, uh, Newt was the caretaker there and I was just coming in on weekends, uh, he would tell me a lot, you know, about, uh, his, he had some really good mountain lion stories. And he told me some of those. And, and you know, I, I had been pack, backpacking for, for many years and I had never even seen a mountain lion in the wild. And I told him about that and, and uh, he said, Oh, well, you know, you don't have to worry at all about mountain lions. They'll always run away from you. And so, well, anyway, it wasn't too long after that that I used to, you know, after we had dinner and uh, in the evening, I used to like to go out for a walk. And I used to walk up the road that comes down into the canyon. So I'd be walking up this steep road. And I was young back in those days, you know, and I didn't carry a sidearm with me or anything like that. And... I was walking up the road, and it was getting dark, you know, and I was paying more attention to where I was putting my feet than I was to the road up ahead, and the first thing I heard was, Oh, my God. (laughs) And that lion was sitting in the middle of the road, uh, about 15 feet in front of me, and up above me, looking down, you know, uh, on the road, Uh and now... Newt had told me that they always run away, but this lion was not running away. In fact, it was giving me that look, you know, you're, like... You're like, going to be my dinner. Should I eat him here or take him home? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yes. And yes. I was uh, kind of at a oh. loss for what to do. I knew I didn't want to turn and run. No. Because that would trigger the pursuit in- instinct. So I just kind of scooped up some pebbles in my hand and threw them at the lion and then waved my arms and shouted, ah, like that, which, which actually didn't really make much of an impression on the lion. But, but it, it did kind of back its head up a little bit and do this kind of little side-to-side thing, you know, yeah. like, it, it, like there was a glimmer of doubt in its yeah. mind. And I figured, well, I better just take advantage of this. I'm not going to get another opportunity. So I, I just kind of turned on my heel and stomped down the road, like, you know, kind of like I knew what I was doing or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went on down and went into the house. And uh, the next morning, I, I went up to check the tracks, 
And the lion had followed me all the way down the road to the creek, to where I crossed the creek before I went wow. into the house. And I looked at the size of the tracks, and it was a, a full-grown adult female lion. And then I remembered that a couple of weeks before, I had seen tracks from a, a female lion, oh, about a quarter mile down the creek, and also tracks of a cub. Oh, okay. So right. then it dawned on me, yeah, she was up there with her cub. And as long as I left the area and, and didn't come any closer, we were good. You were okay. She was yeah, so I, I lucked out on that one. <laughs> Did you mention to Newt that he might have to adjust his claim a little bit? Well, I... He always ran away? Uh, I, I did, but you know when you hear the stories he tells uh, uh, about him, I guess I should, should tell you a couple of them. Um, one, one time he was uh, walking up the mountain from, from Humbug up to... There's another old mining camp up there called Crown King. He was walking up the trail to, to Crown King, and it was uh, in the winter, and it was kind of cool, but the sun was out and was warming things up. And he came around this bend in the trail, and here on this big flat rock in the, in the sunshine was a mountain, big old mountain lion just stretched out fast asleep. And so he sneaks up there to the mountain lion, and he puts his face down next to the mountain lion's <laughs> face. And he hey. says, boo. <laughs> and he said, said that lion went about 10 feet straight up. And when it came down, it landed on all fours facing him. Oh and, my God. And he, and he looked the mountain lion right in the face and he said, scared you, didn't I? And the lion <laughs> took off running. But but as he was running away, the lion was looking over his shoulder at Newt, yeah. and he ran smack into a tree. Is this a true story, do you think? I think it is, because uh, of all the stories that, that Newt told, he, he, was, he didn't really embellish things. He generally told them factually. I've, I've never found uh, him to stretch a story. I don't know if I should call him brave, mischievous, or stupid. That was that was my thought exactly. <laughs> what did you decide? Uh, I I still don't know. He he was brave and adventurous and stupid. That's what. Well, let me tell you another one of his stories, and maybe you'll get uh, maybe a, a better feeling for uh, his perspective on this. Uh huh. Um, back in those days, the the ranchers. Uh, who ran cattle in that area would occasionally, generally they don't have a problem with mountain lions because mountain lions don't take cattle normally. Mm -hmm. But if a lion learns the behavior and starts killing cattle, then it, it will pass that behavior on to its cub. Oh. And if they don't get right on a situation like that, it, it eventually will become a big problem. So what mm -hmm. they do is if they find um, a cow that's been killed by a lion. They get right on that problem and, and get that lion out of there. So what happened was one of the ranchers was having a problem, and so he put the word out to the other ranchers and says, I have a lion problem here. Let's all get together and go on a lion hunt. <laughs> and one of the ranchers, he had some dogs, and they, they just, they, they kind of, this was kind of a vacation for them, you know, to, to go on a lion hunt. And they brought the dogs, and they all met 
you know, got together and uh, the, got the dogs on the scent, and the dogs took off after the lion, and then they all took out after him on their horses, and uh, the dogs eventually got the lion treed. And Newt was along on this uh, little expedition. He was working at the Champy Ranch at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so the the guys come riding up to the tree with the lion in it, and one of the guys pulls out his uh, saddle carbine and gets ready to shoot the lion out of the tree. And one of the other guys says, hey, wait a minute, I, I have an idea here where we can make some money. And so they talk Newt into going up the tree and with a rope and he throws a, a loop over the lion's uh, neck and jerks the lion down out of the tree. And when the lion hits the ground, one of the guys on horseback, he uh, picks up the lion's hind legs with his rope and they stretch him out and tie him all up and throw him over the back of one of the horses and take him back to the ranch. And so they fixed up a cage for the lion, put the lion in the cage. And then, uh, you remember I told you about Castle Hot Springs, the dude uh-huh. ranch? Right. Yeah, where there are a lot of uh, people used to, rich people, and, and dudes with, from back east would come out there, you know, to, to get a, a taste of the, you know, of, of the wet, wild west sort sure. of thing, but, but with comfort, you know. And uh, so they would, ad- they advertised there at the, at the Castle Hot Springs to, to the dudes to come on a lion hunt. So what they would do is they all met one day and um, they bring the lion out there in his cage and then they would turn the lion loose and let the lion run off and they give him about a 30 minute head start and then they let the dogs go and the dogs would take out after him and then all the dudes and the cowboys would go after him too and when the they caught up with him of course the cat would be treed again and they would rope it down out of the tree and put it back in the cage and take it back and and they were charging the dudes um a dollar a head for this, and they got about 30 of them come on that thing on, on the first hunt. Now, you know, $30 was a lot of money back in those days. So they were they were doing real good. And uh, so they decided to do it again, and they had a second lion hunt. And they did the same thing all over again. And by golly, you know, this was a money-making thing. <laughs> so the third lion hunt, they get out there, they open the cage, and the lion jumps out and runs away. and. About five minutes later, the lion comes right back and jumps back up into the cage. <laughs> is that all right? Now, I have to ask you this one. Is that true? I think it is. In, in, in my opinion, it is. Now, now remember, Newt was involved in all this sort of stuff. And uh-huh. I have pictures of, of Newt uh, uh, with lions hanging up that he had hunted and killed. Uh, so he was very familiar with these cats and with their behavior, uh, a lot more familiar than I could ever become uh-huh. uh, today because you just don't uh, go out and hunt lions like they used to. Sure. That was a very smart cat. He figured out how to uh, avoid the indignity of being hauled out of a tree. He'd just do the end part himself. Well, yeah, I guess he ended it, but you you, you know they, they turned in his ears for the bounty. I, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll leave that part out. I just, I just, oh, that poor cat. Oh, my gosh. Um, bounty is a word that we hear in the West uh, periodically um, or about the West periodically. You've got coyotes out there. You've got mountain lions. Did they pay bounties for these animals? Oh, yes. The um, uh, ranchers have what's called a cattleman's association. Uh, this association does things 
for the ranchers. The ranchers pay to be a member of it. So, uh, for, for instance, if some rancher were to discover that uh, someone was rustling his cattle, he would go to the Cattlemen's Association and they would investigate and uh, prosecute. Uh, we, we had an instance uh, not too many years ago, about 15 years ago, uh, someone, had, uh, someone from town, I guess, had come up and they saw they see cows standing around because this is uh, open range out here and uh, the the ranch puts cows out and they go over wherever they want and they there so people are driving along and they see cows by the side of the road well somebody decided he would just stop and shoot one of these cows oh, and then they uh, then decided that they would uh, cut a, a leg quarter off of the cow and take it home and <laughs> You know, this is illegal. <laughs> uh, so uh, when I came up, I saw this carcass laying by the side of the road, and so I notified uh, the ranchers about it, and uh, they sent the Cattlemen's Association out, and they investigated it, and they uh, uh, talked to the sheriff, and the sheriff uh, got the word around. Well, it turns out that these guys who had did this had taken pictures of them doing this. You know, for, for souvenirs, I guess. Well, when they turned their film into Walmart to be processed, the guy who uh, uh, developed their film for them said, hey, this, this doesn't look very legal. And he notified the police, and the police notified the sheriff, and the sheriff uh, <laughs> went over and said, let's have, go have a talk with these guys. So they, they got in trouble for that. They, they got a degree in stupid. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that is really stupid. Yes, it is. Um, I'm glad it, they were caught, but my gosh. You know. Well, it was such a miserable thing to do in the first place. Yes, it was. Uh, and then to, I mean, to kill someone else's cow is one thing. Then to just leave most of the carcass laying there to rot yeah. is, is, that's the worst crime. And it's unmentionable. Yeah. I asked you about... Christmas in Humbug, Christmas decorating, was there anything special that went on? And you told me about someone who picked out a cactus. Oh, yeah. This was a, a fellow I knew over on Black Canyon uh, who um, had, an, had two unpatented claims over there. And there was an old stone house there, and he lived in the old stone house. And when Christmas came around, he had this big saguaro cactus in front of the house. And so he would. He didn't have uh, what you call uh, very many trees there, especially yeah. not not right near the house. So he decorated, put put lights on the cactus. <laughs> I love and when that. he when he ran his generator at night, and then he turned on the the, the lights on the cactus. Uh huh. Now the Suero cactus are the ones with the great big arms that that come out and stand up. Yes, they are. And this one was about 25 feet tall. That's a lot of pricklies to get past to put lights on. Yeah, I think he used a pole to get them up there. <laughs> I, I certainly would, was not going to climb that cactus. I would think so. Okay, how much time do you spend at Humbug now? Oh, probably in the winter when the weather's good. I, I'm there most of the time. Most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, in the winter and the weather is good. Now, in the summer, um, uh, Humbug is not that not up on the mountain. It's down at the base of the mountain, so it's really only about a thousand feet higher than Phoenix. Okay. And that means in the summer it's hot. It is really hot. You are not up in Flagstaff or Prescott. That's right. 
Okay, and they, they kind of get a little bit cooler than the rest of the world up there, but you're in, you're in heat country there. Yeah, okay, so that means that around Christmas time, you're in Humbug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas okay. time is usually very nice there. So do you do anything special for Christmas in Humbug? Um, no, well, you know, I put up a string of lights, I guess. <laughs> you do. All right. But uh, other than that, um, not too much special. Um, I, I usually come into town on Christmas because... Um, well, I've, I've got kind of a big family, uh, you know, a couple of brothers, a couple of sisters, that kind of uh-huh. thing, and they all have kids and that sort of thing. And my parents are still alive, so, uh, but but my parents are getting old. Um, my dad's in his 90s, mom's in her 80s. Oh, my. And so we don't get together all at once anymore like we used to. Uh-huh. What we do is we kind of space them out. So we start Christmas celebration a couple of weeks before Christmas. Now, a couple of my sisters, they live out of state, so uh, they'll sort of, they, they get it, get together and organize who's going to come in when, and they sort of come in separately and mm-hmm. have get together with mom and dad and with all of us who are still in the state uh-huh. here, and so we have a lot of little celebrations, but we don't have the big celebration that we used to have. Got it. Does anybody come to Humbug to celebrate with you up there? Uh, not that much. Now, we get usually um, right around Christmas on either side, we get a lot of people who want to come up and see Humbug because uh, the kids are out of school and that sort of thing, and, mm-hmm. and people want to come out and go out and do things. And so I get phone calls, um, hey, I'd like to come up and see Humbug. And I say, sure, come on up. And uh, uh, But that usually doesn't happen on Christmas Day. That happens a few days either side. Uh-huh. So, uh, Interesting. Now, you take people out there all the time, and, and truly all they have to do is pick up the phone and call, and you'll tell them when you can take them out, and you do it. Um, well, I, I don't take them out. They uh, usually come out. I can give them instructions on how to get there. Now, you have uh-huh. to have a good four-wheel drive and plenty of ground clearance, and the, inst- the instructions aren't short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you if you do know the country and and you know the area, uh, there's a pretty good chance with my instructions that you can make it there without getting lost. And if they make it there, can they get out and just kind of roam around and? and oh yes, I'll I'll show them the uh, the old buildings and the history and the old um, uh, uh, mill site. Uh-huh. There's two old mill sites, several old mill sites there. Uh, and some of the old mines and things like that and whatever they want to know about mining, and we can do some panning in the creek or something like that. When when you got to the mountain lions, I could hear the suitcases unpacking. <laughs> and now, that, now that you're back to gold, I can hear the snaps. Oh, packing again. Huh? <laughs> We're back to snaps and, and coming to visit you. Now, the people who visit Humbug have questions. What are the most common questions they have for you? Oh, let's see. Probably the most common one is, how do I find gold? <laughs> that sounds reasonable. Uh, well, for, first first we usually uh, look at some of the history, and, and the, the questions are, are usually, what was life like for Charlie Champy? You know, yeah. just, just like you were asking. Uh, what, what was it like for them back in those days when, when they had basically nothing yeah. uh, to work with out there? And so we go over and we look at the old house that uh, Charlie Champy lived in, and we look at the things that I've, that the little scraps and bits of their life that I find. There was an old uh, uh, wagon wheel rim there. There's a, an old broken mining hammer. Uh, there's uh, uh, 
pieces of uh, there's a piece of an old cast iron pot uh, that that was probably the laundry pot that they did laundry in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, various little pieces, of, bits and pieces of tools, uh, well, but no. but not that much, really. Because, basically, they didn't have that much. They didn't have that much to leave behind. Dave, I should have done this earlier. Uh, We have listeners out there who occasionally call in with questions, and some might even want to call in and say, Happy birthday, bah humbug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If anybody would like to call in uh, with questions for Dave Burns, who is a resident, I'll say resident, of Humbug, Arizona, um, a mining, what would a mining claim? Is that would that be the, the correct term? Well, it's a mining property. A mining property. Okay, I like that. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. You've got questions that are a lot better than the questions I'm asking, but I you you're doing just fine because I'm not asking the right questions and you're giving me all the great answers. Um, so this this is just so good. Now you've been there like almost twenty five or thirty years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Since, yeah, I guess yeah it has it. been that long. <laughs> have there have you had any times when you wish you weren't there? Mm. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> you have to um, think that hard. I guess not. Um, it, it it's kind of like um a a bad day at at Humbug is still way better than a good day in town. It's like people who are into fishing, you know, they have that saying, a, a, a bad day fishing is still better than a good day at work or, sure, <laughs> or sure. something like that. It, it, that, that this, that's kind of the way it is. This really is home for you. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. It really is home. This is just incredible. Um, okay, I want to go back to your mining efforts or your panning. Do you prefer mining or panning? Well, um, I, I when did you know the difference between a miner and a prospector? Well, I'm I'm assuming. That, let me tell you what I I think it is, and then you tell me how close I am. Okay. A prospector is out looking, and a miner is digging. That's true, but there's an easier way to tell okay. the difference. If you're making money, you're mining. I was just going to say, if you if, if you're getting if, stuff. If you're not making money, then you're prospecting. That sounds good. Okay. So, so whenever somebody calls me a miner, I have to correct them and say, no, I'm a prospector. Okay. <laughs> so if I if I ask you, are you mining anything? That's I have really to say no. You have to you have to be earning something, or you have to have located a place where where you're actually digging in a valuable chunk of property. Right. You have to be making money. Okay. So you're not mining. Now that's true. <laughs> but but I am prospecting. You are prospecting. Now, okay. now every prospector aspires to be mining, but uh, uh, not all okay. of them ever make it there. I really appreciate the differentiation. That's cool. I, I like that. Okay, so now are you out looking for... I prospect all the time. E- even if I'm just walking around working or something like that, you're still... Uh, a prospector is a, is something that you are. And no matter what else you're doing, you're still a prospector. So if I'm walking along and I and something catches my eye over there, I'm over there checking it out. Uh-huh. Because you never know. You know, you're you're looking for hints, you're looking for clues, and any little piece of float or something like that can be a clue. 
and a piece of float is just a rock laying on the on the ground that uh -huh. came from somewhere else. And if, if it gives you an indication that there might be valuable minerals uh, where this rock came from, then you're on it. What was the most valuable piece or most promising find that you have had in the 25 or 30 years? Okay, now, um, I do both um, uh, placer prospecting and load prospecting. Okay. Uh, now, now, placer is where you're down in the creek, remember, uh, digging uh -huh. and sampling and looking right. for a placer deposit. Now, uh -huh. even though Humbug Creek is not a good placer creek, there still is a possibility that you can find a, a, a valuable deposit there. And I have a, it, oh, four years ago, I think I hit a, a, a two-ounce pocket in the creek where I found a spot where, because of the uh, shape of the creek and the shape of the bedrock, that a, a little pocket of placer gold happened to collect there, and it had two ounces in it. And so I was a happy guy for a couple of weekends. What is what is the value of two ounces for us Yankees who <laughs> are just not initiated? How much? Well, right now, uh, gold is running in the 1300 so dollars. It's trying to get up to $1,400 an ounce and hasn't quite made it yet. So you had well over $2,000 in that two-ounce find. Um, about, yeah, about $2,000, yeah. I guess you were a happy camper. Yeah, but it didn't last very long. <laughs> it, like I said, it was a small pocket, and yeah. it was over fast. <laughs> and it, then you're back into looking for another one. Yeah, the, the yeah, but a bad day with gold in your pocket is better than a good day. With you're gold. learning, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. You're, you're getting, you're getting the fever. Yeah, there you're, you go. You're, you've got a good student here, and I've got an excellent teacher. This is really yeah. You, yeah, you need to come up and get your uh, hands dirty. I, oh, I don't mind getting my hands dirty. It's um, <clears throat> not having the finer things in life, like good shoes and air conditioning. <laughs> oh, now, now, now. <laughs> well, that's not really true because I don't, I'm in Florida and I don't use air conditioning. I can't remember the last time I had the air conditioner on. You live so. in Florida in the summer without air conditioning? Sure. But it's humid there. You see, you know, you people from Arizona. Where you, I know, we're wimps. You wimps. Are you kidding me? Anybody who lives in that kind of territory. Now, uh, now we can call anybody else we want a wimp except someone from Florida. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, because you have heat and humidity. We only have heat here. We don't have the humidity that you have. Well, I'd have a really rough time living in the Arizona climate because I'm accustomed to having more moisture in the air, and you've got nothing out there in some of your hot spells. Mm. Um, yes, it's but, pretty dry. But just to make you happy, about two weeks ago, we had a really sharp cold snap, which is unusual for this time of the year. We usually get them in Janu January or February, sometimes the end of December. But it was a couple of weeks ago, and we had a couple of nights that went into the 20s. And I'm I heard about that. They were worried about the citrus freezing. Yeah, they were worried about some of the crops that they lost, too. We're big farm country here. That, that um, happens sometimes here, too, but I think a couple of weeks ago, we were in the 80s. Yeah, I can believe that, but what I really want to tell you is our humidity in some areas went to 16%. Whoa, that sounds like our kind of humidity. I know. I wanted you to be so proud of me that, you know, we don't, <laughs> we don't stick to this 100% of the time. And, and you survived that. Of course. You know, I whined an awful lot. We have a wonderful mm -hmm. family of listeners, and they would 
They sympathized with you? They didn't call up and call you a wimp? No, they they humored me is what they did. Uh. <laughs> they just humored me. Well, Dave, I have gotten to the end of my questions. What should I have asked you that I did not? Oh, I don't know. Well, um, I think we talked about most everything. Um... Are there, are there any big active silver mine or gold mine in Arizona that's been struck in the last 30, 40 years, Dave? Or? Um, no, you know, mining uh, in general uh, had been, been down for a long time mm -hmm. until just a few years ago when, you know, the copper prices went up. And uh, when copper prices go up, then then that's mainly what is mined in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Gold mining has never really recovered from the days back in the 1930s uh, when it when it sort of died out. You, you get little mines popping up here and there, but but nothing really big. Um, for for the last uh, oh 40 years, uh, pretty much all of the gold mined in Arizona was a result of copper mining. A byproduct of copper mining. A byproduct of copper mining. Now, if I were walking into a mountainous area or rough terrain, what would be the most likely place for me to start looking? Well, if you were a beginner, um, I would recommend this, that you go into an area that you know that gold was found there before. Uh -huh. and, and what you can do is uh, take a look at... Uh, the, the old mines and things that you find in that area and get a feel for the way the old boys did it. Get a feel for the kind of veins that they were looking for. Because like I say, every mining area is different. Every area has its own character. Uh, gold can uh, come in all sorts of forms and in all sorts of ways. And what you're doing is first you have to figure out what to look for. And every one of these areas, you're looking for something different. Uh, over in California, they have these large veins that run continuously. And uh, you can sample along those veins in, in many spots and still find, and find gold in all of them. Now, in my area, it's not like that. You know, we have hydrothermal veins that are uh, small, and gold doesn't appear generally in them except in these little pockets so mm -hmm. trying to find these little pockets is very difficult one little pocket in a big mountain is not an easy thing that's right uh, now the, the old boys they found all the the pockets that showed on the surface but there's still plenty more of those pockets that aren't showing on the surface mm -hmm. and so if you're uh, if you're looking for those you're gonna have to dig for them they're not showing on the surface they're below the surface and there are a number of techniques you can do to to find these pockets uh, one is called trenching if you know where a vein is running and you see that there are old mines on that vein in various spots then, then you, the indications are good that there are more pockets along that vein now if you follow the vein you'll see that up on the tops of the ridges the vein is exposed but when you go farther down the ridge it's covered over with dirt mm -hmm. and stuff. So there's a technique called trenching. What you do is you follow that vein down there, and where it goes underneath the dirt, you start digging. And the idea is to expose the top of that vein to where you can see it and get a sample from it and see if you can see visible gold in it, for one thing, and uh, maybe if you 
uh, can't, you might get it assayed if it looked like it might have gold in it. Mm -hmm. uh, silver techniques and, that you can do. Is silver and copper mining have different techniques compared to gold? But um, they're all pretty much the same technique. Well, a lot of the basic principles are the same, but, but copper mining is kind of different. You, for copper mining, you really need a large deposit. Uh, mining companies aren't interested in small uh, copper deposits uh, because they can't make money off of those. Uh, so, so, so you're looking for a much larger thing when you're looking for a copper mine. What uh, does copper look like in the ground? Uh, generally, um, when you're in the oxide layer, which means near the surface, uh, copper can be very pretty. It's green and blue and brightly colored, and uh, when you get further down, it looks more like pyrite when you're in the sulfide layer. Uh -huh. But uh, on the surface, um, uh, copper is very visible, very colorful. Uh, minerals a lot of times tend to be colorful and quite pretty. Yeah. Hmm. How interesting. Well, I can hear the suitcases packing again. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell them to come on out. The, the weather's nice here in the winter. Um, uh-huh. Don't wait until summer. Don't wait until summer. Well, see, I'm tough. I could, I could do it in summer. Well, 110, 115. I can't do it in summer. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I anymore. You know, when I was young, I could do stuff like that, but I'm not wow. young anymore. I mean, wow. And the, the prospectors and the miners, now that I know the difference, the prospectors and the miners were out there in this kind of weather all the time. Oh, yeah, they pretty much lived outside. Uh, they're, they're, the buildings that they built were for storing their food and, and things yeah. in. And unless it was raining or something like that, they generally lived outside. Amazing. Just amazing. Boy, you talk about sturdy stock. Yeah, uh, you, I always wonder, you know, how they did it. Summers must have been awful long for them. Well, they're awful long. Yeah, I guess. Because they, they couldn't get out, no air conditioning. They couldn't get out of the heat. The best they could do would be to get in the shade. Yeah, or if they really had excavated a mine, it might be cooler in there. Oh, yeah, it's, so. it's much nicer inside the mine. Yeah, but still, I mean, you've, you've got creepy stuff in there, too. But, it, but if you, you didn't have a mine tunnel, if you were a placer miner or something like that. Right, right. Or a prospector. Or a prospector, you bet. <laughs> now that I have done this. Well, Humbug, Arizona, this is just so neat that you spent time with us, Dave. I just... Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king.